Bibles this morning, and let's go to Matthew chapter 14, okay? Matthew 14 this morning is where we'll be. Matthew chapter 14, as we continue our study through the life of Peter, all right? And uh, just before we jump to the epistles of Peter, and as we come back to his life, there's another lesson that he needed to learn, and it's a lesson that we need to learn as well. And uh, this lesson that he is going to learn, he is going to learn from a, at least a familiar spot for him, at least a familiar classroom at least, and that is from the Sea of Galilee. And just so you know, this was a classroom that Jesus would use often, often taught his disciples at the Sea of Galilee as well as others. And so logic would have it, you know, that we should do probably more learning and teaching and preaching at the lake. Amen. But anyway, all four of you laughed. Appreciate that. But uh, anyway, but he used the Sea of Galilee often as a classroom. Uh, you can, we can see, we've already seen as we looked at the life of Peter, how uh, it was there that Jesus taught the people when he used Peter's boat as, as, a, as a pulpit. And we saw even last time, it was, or two times ago rather, it was there at the Sea of Galilee where Jesus called Peter to follow him as well as James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And last time again, it was on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus taught Peter the importance of obedience as he went out for a draft of fishes, if you remember that, in Luke chapter number 5. Uh, but it is also Jesus would show Peter and the rest of the disciples uh, his great power over creation as he would calm that very raging sea, not once but at least twice that we know of there at the Sea of Galilee. You bet the Sea of Galilee where Peter would be restored back to service after uh, Jesus' resurrection and just before his ascension, but it would be there at least on the, sea, uh, the seaside that day in John 21. Listen, Jesus used the Sea of Galilee often to teach his disciples. Now, I like what one author said about that. He said, The seven seas God created for man, but the Sea of Galilee he made for himself. Often, often you find Jesus teaching people as well as his disciples at the Sea of Galilee. And as we move forward in the life of Peter, we're going to learn another lesson. As Jesus teaches him here at the Sea of Galilee, but this lesson is going to be learned from Peter and needs to be learned from the rest of us, and it's this one, all right? How to go through a storm. How to navigate a storm. Or lessons from the storm. I'm not sure how to title it yet this morning, but that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, we all understand and we all know that storms are just a part of life. And just so you know, I'm not talking about weather, okay? We've had some weather as of late, but I'm not talking about those kind, those kind of storms. What I'm talking about are storms of life when it comes to hardship. The storms of life when it seems like those difficulties just came out of nowhere, surprised you and took you, took you by surprise, shocked you. Those storms of life, trials of life, that's what I'm talking about. Those kind of storms, we all have them. We all have them. And I'm going to ask you, raise your hand if you've ever, ever been in one, because I know you have. We all have faced them. Uh, one author said this, you're either going into a storm or currently in a storm or just coming out of a storm. And what he's getting at is we face this. We face this often, and Peter was no exception. Uh, even Peter himself would face, less, or face storms of life often in his, in his life in ministry. And he learned this even early. Because we're looking, as he turned to Matthew 14, they're about, about a year in, I guess, in ministry and life with Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus has something, something for them as he teaches them a lesson on storms. But Peter had to learn this. Because later on, Peter would even write, as you read First and Second Peter, write about trials, write about difficulties. He would say to the scattered believers, those that are scattered abroad because of the trials they were facing, the persecution they were facing, he was writing to encourage them, to help them through their storm. He speaks of the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. He even would write about the fiery trial which is to try you. And I believe that fiery trial there he's speaking of was quite literal, a literal fire that the Christians were going through under the cruel hand of Nero as he burned believers alive, all right? And we'll get to that when we get closer to 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But he's talking. He would later write all, talk about these trials and difficulties and storms, but he had to learn it first. He had to learn it first before he could ever encourage or help someone Else, So when he speaks, though, of the trials, he speaks personally about them. Because he personally went through it, went through it himself, all right? So let's look at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And just before we do, before we read it, I think it would be good for us to get an uh, overall context in mind. It will help aid in our understanding of what's going on, all right? So keep in mind as we come to uh, Matthew chapter 14, we'll, we'll be in verse 22 here in just a moment. But as we come here, keep in mind one of the greatest events of all history has just taken place in the life of the disciples and with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest miracles Jesus ever, ever did and that was the feeding of, of the 5,000. And no doubt this miracle was one that these disciples never got over. It's one they never forgot because every single gospel writer recorded this event of the feeding of the 5,000 and each one of their accounts. So that tells me they can never get over the mighty work of God of feeding 5,000 men, let alone women and children. So feeding over 5,000, I mean, it could have been upwards 20, 25,000 or more people this day. The Lord fed with a little lad's lunch fed them with some crackers and some sardines. No doubt it was amazing to see and amazing to be part of, an amazing mighty miracle the Lord did, proving yet again who He is, that He is God in the flesh. There's nothing too hard for Him. But this would have been an epic time for these guys to see what Jesus did and how much they learned, no doubt. From this moment and from the Lord, they learned how to serve others and do so in the power of God. Uh, they learn that God could use them to be a blessing to others in spite of themselves. They learn that nothing will be too hard for the Lord, even feeding a bunch of hungry Baptists. Amen, all right? Nothing too hard for the Lord. They learn this. And this event, no doubt, would help them to grow in the Lord. At least it should have. And one of the most wonderful things about the Christian life is this. We never stop growing. We never stop growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And this was happening to these guys. This was happening. So picture in your minds, we come to Matthew 14 and verse 22 here, that these fellas are excited, no doubt excited, about what God has done and what the Lord is doing. I can imagine what was going through their hearts and minds, thinking, Lord, what's next? What's next? What are we going to do next? We're going to do this on the other side of Sea of Galilee and feed another 20,000, 30,000 people. I mean, it's amazing. Those people need to see it too. What's next? What's the next big event? Lord, what are you going to do, we're ready to see something mighty yet again. And they were going to all right. But not in a way maybe they thought. Peter, no doubt, was used of God mightily to feed these people as one of the disciples, but 
He's going to go through something mighty again. Just not the way maybe he had pictured it. You see, he's about to go from a mountaintop experience of feeding so many people, he's about to walk through the valley. He's about to go from the, the light and walk through some darkness. He's about to go from some great comfort and face some great chaos. He's going to learn a lesson of the storms. And so in the middle of the dark, dangerous, and deadly storm, they're going to learn some very valuable lessons. Peter is going to learn some very valuable lessons that he could take and later on encourage others as they face some terrible storms as well. But let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 22 with me. And we'll read down through verse, uh, we'll just finish the chapter out, all right? But verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent away the multitude. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when even was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over... They came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out unto all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Our Father, as we read this portion of Scripture, I pray we would gain some great comfort and help as we consider the storms of life. We know this is a physical storm, but there's so much more to learn than from just the weather. There's so much he's trying to teach them, the spiritual aspects of things, and help us to gain them as well today. And apply them to our life. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. After, after reading this event and others like this event in Scripture, can I tell you something? I believe that sometimes the greatest lessons are learned and some of the worst of times we face. Because this is exactly what's happening to the disciples in our text. They're learning some lessons. Should be. In one of the worst times of their life. At least one of the most fearful times of their life. You see, they had, to, they had just learned how good and powerful and mighty Jesus was in the lives of others when he fed the multitudes. But now they are about to find out how good and powerful and mighty Jesus is in their life personally. They saw how good he was publicly, but now they're about to see it personally. They're about to see what God can do just for them on a personal level. God's about to do something mighty for them. Let me ask you a question this morning, and this is for all the students out there, all right? Who just loves school? You love it. Let me see your hand. Now, one, two, 
I see this. Yeah. I love school too, especially lunch. All right. And football. That's why I went to school to play sports. All right. And uh, anyway, but, but you're not going to school for that reason. I know you are, you are a very spiritual person and you go for the right reasons. I know. I know. All right. But, uh, but I didn't really love school necessarily, but I went for, for other, other reasons because, you know, I had to. But let me ask you this. Who out there are teachers? All right, let me ask the teachers this question. After teaching a, a lesson, say long division, also known as purgatory, what do you give your... That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, purgatory does exist, okay, only in math. But anyway, uh, no, purgatory does not exist. It does not whatsoever. False teaching moving forward. Anyway, but... Let's just say after you uh, teach them long division, you give them a what to see if they gained knowledge. You give them, starts with the T, ends with the S. Tests, that's right. And you usually give them a test on when? Friday. Why? So you can wreck their weekend. That's why you do it. <laughs> but you give them a test. But the tests are supposed to be helpful. They're supposed to aid in your learning. See if you gain some knowledge from what you've been studying and observing, right? Yes. It's what it's supposed to do. Not a torture device, or it's supposed to help you. And I believe as we come to Matthew 14, it's kind of what that is. It's a little bit of a test. To see if they've learned anything from the previous day. Really, just a previous, I think there's only about six to nine hours from the feeding of the 5,000 to this, to this storm. See if they learn anything. See if they learn they can truly trust in God no matter what. And God does that from time to time. See if they learned the lessons. May God help us do the same. One of the first lessons I believe they learn as we come to Matthew 14 is this. Number one, they learned they were sent into the storm. They were sent here. When we think of storms and difficulties and tough times, trials of life, sometimes we get the idea that we face those because, well, it's some sin that I've done or some disobedience that I have committed. And, well, sometimes that does happen. But those are not necessarily called storms. Those are called consequences of our foolish actions. Amen. All right? And, uh, hey, look, we do silly things. We receive silly prizes. All right? Uh, so sometimes, yes, that is true. And I think even King Saul in the Old Testament, the Bible says because he did not obey the word of the Lord, what happened? God took away the kingdom from him. We also we just went through the life of who? Of all right, all five of you have been present. That's good. All five of you know it was Jonah, all right? But Jonah went through a storm. Why? Because of his disobedience. It was really a consequence of his action. So sometimes we get the idea that we go through storms because what did I do to deserve this? Well, listen, that's not always the case. It's not always because something you've done, some kind of disobedience. But sometimes it can be. We go through storms because of obedience. Now, do not let that statement, do not let that statement mess you up too bad, okay? So I want to try to show you what I mean. You see, these fellows here, they were doing what they were told. They were, they were obeying the Lord. They were doing what they should have done. Again, in our text in Matthew 14, 22, straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him on the other side while he sent away the people. Again, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, same, the same event. The Bible says that straightway he, as Jesus, constrained his disciples, get into the ship and go to the other side before into Bethsaida while he sent away the people. 
But God was sending them over there, and they were listening, they were obeying. But why would he send them in a boat and go to the other side? Did Jesus not know there was a storm on the horizon? Was he not aware of what was about to take place as he sent them on the Sea of Galilee that day? Well, of course he was aware. Of course he knew. He's the Almighty. He knows everything. And because he knows everything, I'm going to tell you something. These men, if they stayed on the shore that day, were in more danger than if they got in that boat and went through the storm. Let me show you what I mean. You see, in John chapter number 6, verse 14 through 15, you can put it in the margin of your Bible, but it says there that the people, after Jesus had fed them, they were so excited what Jesus, paraphrasing of course, but so excited about what Jesus had just done and shown his mighty power to them that they wanted to do this. The Bible says, take him, that's Jesus, by force and make him a king. Can you imagine if some of the disciples would have gotten wind of this? Like, what? They want to make Jesus a king? Oh, now we're talking. We've got us an army already, about 20,000 people, and we're going we're to mess this place up of Rome. We're going to take our country back. I can imagine what Judas would have done, what Peter would have done and said, James and John would have done and said, even James and John, they even wanted to call down fire from heaven, right? I can imagine what these guys would have said and done if they'd have caught wind that these people wanted to make Jesus their king. You see, at this moment, they wanted to make Jesus their physical sitting upon the throne king, but that was not God's plan, not yet. You see, the people, their vision for the kingdom was secular. They wanted to take on Rome and be free, but Jesus' vision for the people was a spiritual kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Make no mistake about it. He's coming back one day as such, but at this moment, that was not the case. He came to give us life. Give us life more abundant, but how is he going to do that? Through his death on the cross of Calvary, his, bury, his burial in the borrowed tomb, and his resurrection from the grave. That's why he came. Came to seek and to save, that's what was lost. That's why he first came, but they wanted to make him, make him a king. But at this moment, what he had to do was send these folks away, but he had to send his disciples away first. He sent them into a storm. Why? As crazy as it may, may sound, and it may seem, he did it to protect them. It's wild, ain't it? To think he did so to protect them, I believe he did. I really do. And I'm glad, listen, that God is the master builder of our life and knows how to take care of his own. So understand something this morning. Jesus sent these men into the storm. Peter learned that. That sometimes they come. They come for his sake, for his, for his sake. For, for to help him, not to hurt him, but to help him. And then we see this. In this storm, not only were they sent, but they were this. Number two, they were secure. Peter was absolutely taken care of, even in the midst of this dark, terrible, and fearful storm. And here's where we can gain some great comfort as well as we come to this point. Because I want you to know something. 
These guys were safe. And you say, well, how in the world are they safe? I thought the Bible says that there rose a great wind, uh, a great wind in verse 18, and huge waves and, and be a, a hurricane force winds uh, that would rock their boat. What's so secure about that? What's safe about that? I thought they were in the middle of a raging sea, as the Bible says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 47. I thought they were toiling and rowing, straining their bodies to get back to the shore. Again, Mark 6, 48, I thought they were plumb, wore out, tired, alone, and afraid. Why? Would you dare say they were safe and secure? Well, here's why. Number one, they were secure because Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, again, talking about the same event in Matthew 14, the Bible says, And he, that's Jesus, saw them toiling in rowing. After Jesus sent these men away, he never took his eye off of them. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what they were going through. He knew exactly the strain on their body. He knew exactly how tired they were and even scared. Why did he know? He saw them. That's why. He saw, he saw them. I want you to know something. You are never, ever out of the sight of God. Never. Sometimes we wonder, does God know what I'm going through? Does he see what I'm facing? yes. He absolutely does. He knows because he sees. He sees your fears. He sees your struggles. He sees your heartache. He sees it all. He knows. He's always watching. The Bible says this in Psalm 34, 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. In Proverbs 15, 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And First Peter, even he would write about this very, very thing, how God's eye was on him. He would say this, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, as he's quoting back to the psalmist. Listen, he knows. He knows what you're going through, because he sees it. Jesus sees the storm you're facing, and he will see you through it as well. Rest in that, that he knows. And then we see this, number two, not only are we secure that he sees us, but we, they're secure in that Jesus was praying for them as well. I believe that Jesus went on the mountaintop that day and uh, to not only to watch them and see them, of course, but to pray for them. And by the way, Jesus did this often while he was uh, on his earthly ministry with the disciples. He would pray with them and he would pray for them. If you look in John chapter 17, which is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, you'll find this recorded for us in verse number 9. Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Listen, Jesus prayed often for his disciples, prayed often for his own. I believe as Jesus on the mountaintop this day in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus was doing just that, praying for the disciples. But not praying the same way you and I would pray. <laughs> not praying that, oh, Lord, stop the storm. Oh, Lord, get me out of the storm. Oh, well, please let it stop. I don't think he prayed that way. I think how he was praying was this, that their faith failed not. Because that's the very thing that Jesus would pray for Peter one day. That very thing Jesus said in Luke chapter number 22 and we'll get to that eventually as we look into the life of Peter. We'll get to that chapter in that instant. But it was there when Jesus looked at Peter and said this, 
very fearful things if, if, if he's telling me this. But Jesus said to Peter, Satan had desired to have you. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? That he may sift you as wheat. Now, a sifting process will be separating the wheat, meaning the good stuff, from the chaff, meaning the bad stuff. It'd be like this. Who here likes bananas? Anybody like bananas? All right, if you like bananas. Do you eat the peeling? No. If you do, it's weird. It's gross. Don't do it. All right? You throw the peeling away. Well, what is that? Well, that is the chaff, right? That's the, that's the bad stuff. The, the, the middle of it, after you throw the peeling away, is the banana. That's what you eat. That would be the wheat, all right? Kind of using that as an illustration to get, your, get my point across so you can understand it. But that's what he's trying to do. He wants to sift us, to separate us from, from what? To violently shake us, to vigorously shake us. Why? For, for what? To do this. The devil wanted to do that to Peter to separate him and tear him apart and shake his faith and trust in God. Understand something. Listen to this. The devil desires to shake us up so he can swallow us down. If he can shake your faith in the Lord, he's nigh on his way. Don't let him do it. Don't let him shake you up and swallow you down. But listen, even after Jesus said this to Peter, he said, Satan had desire to have you. Here's the most comforting words, no doubt, that Peter could have heard. Jesus said this in Luke twenty two thirty two. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And that's what Peter would do. As he'd write First and Second Peter, he would strengthen the brethren. Even in the matter of the storms of life and trials of life. Understand sometimes, well, not sometimes, probably most of the time if we're honest. We want those storms to pass. We want the darkness to go away. We want to, the fear to flee. Why? Because we are creatures of comfort. Who here likes comfort? Some of you do. Others take it or leave it. Okay. I like comfort. I'm glad we have air conditioning in the, in the summer. I'm glad we have heat in the winter. I like being, being comfortable. You know, we're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of comfort. We want it. We want comfort. We want security. But listen, sometimes during these difficult days that we face from time to time, we want security. But Jesus wants to do this. Jesus wants to show, show us personally that, oh yeah, we're definitely secure. Not in ourselves, not in the things we possess, but we're secure in the Lord. He was showing them that. He was trying to teach them that they were secure in, in Him. Jesus prayed for His own. He prayed, no doubt, that their faith failed not. But not only does he pray for them then, I'm thankful today as I read my Bible, he still prays for us now. The Bible says in John 17, 22, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus, at this moment, seated on the right hand of the throne of God and is praying, making intercession for you and for me.
When you find yourselves in those moments where you don't know what to say, the words don't come out right, and it just seems like groanings, well, guess what? The Holy Spirit interprets those takes to the throne of grace, and guess who's praying? The Lord. He is making intercession for us. When it feels the storms of life are shaking us to the core, take comfort in knowing this wonderful truth that Jesus is praying. The um, author and missionary Robert Murray McShane said this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. <laughs> so true. I mean, if you can hear him praying right now, would you fear what you're going through? Probably not. He said, if I could hear Christ praying in the next room, I wouldn't fear a million enemies. Yet, he said this, yet distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. So take comfort in knowing that Jesus is praying. These guys were secure. Why? Jesus saw them and Jesus was praying for them. And then lastly, another lesson they were learning, Peter was learning through this storm he was going through is this. Number three, lastly, he was being stretched. He was being stretched. It's another lesson he had to learn. He was being stretched. But what was it that was being stretched? It was their trust, their faith, their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, did Peter's faith ever grow in this moment. Look at Matthew 14, back in your, back in your Bible. Look at four, uh, chapter 14, look at verse number uh, 28. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou... Bid me come unto thee on the water. And he, that's Jesus, said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. You ever walked on water? Me neither. Peter did, though. Of course, Jesus, we know, did. But so did Peter. I, began, no doubt, I believe, no doubt, that his faith began to, to grow in, in, this, in this moment. His confidence but as he got his focus off the Lord, he began to sink, though, didn't he? He did. But I believe in this moment, they were going through this instance why God was wanting to stretch them. God was wanting to increase their, his, their confidence in him, their faith in, in him. I've heard in my short years of ministry when trying to help people, encourage, encourage people who are going through some trials and struggles of life, storms of life, I've heard this phrase. Preacher, you think God's punishing me? No, I don't think he's punishing, punishing you. Why would you think he's punishing you? I mean, after what I'm going through, it's difficulty. I mean, is he, is, he, is he punishing me? I don't think he's punishing you. Again, there's consequences to our actions. We get that. But these things that come out of nowhere, you don't know where it came from. That, that strange trial that Peter would talk about later in 1 Peter. Some strange thing happened unto you. I don't think it's because God is punishing. No, rather, I think it's in those moments of life when those trials that come out of nowhere sometimes and, and difficulties come out of nowhere. It's not punishment. It's this. Listen, He's perfecting you. He's perfecting us. Now, James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, James is writing to scattered and persecuted Jewish believers. And uh, James is trying to encourage them as he writes to, to them from a pastor's heart as he's a pastor there, we would believe, there in, in the church in Jerusalem. But uh, from a pastor's heart to these fearful hearts of these, of these believers. 
and not knowing exactly why, what they're going through, and, and why they're going through it. But he says this in James 1, verse 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. By the way, temptations there is not temptation to sin, but it's trials, tests, all right? When you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Again, perfect and entire here is not talking about being uh, sinless perfection or anything like that. No, he's talking about maturity. He's talking about growing. The Lord wants to use these times in our life to grow us and to mature us. He wants to use these times to make us better, to perfect us. He wants to use these times to get our spiritual endurance, if I can say it that way, get that up. I said earlier, I love going, I love playing football in school. I, I did. I really enjoyed that highly. But one thing about it I hated was this. After practice, we always had conditioning. I hated conditioning. I was a lineman. We don't run. No. You got 10 yards in front of us. We're done. I'm going to lay down and won't wait for the water boy to come by. You know, we don't run. I hated conditioning. But you know why the coach made us condition? He put us through that. Even, though, even as fat linemen, why'd he do that? Well, because he wanted us to have a little more condition. Why? So we can stay in the game just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. God wants to get our spiritual condition up. Why? Stay in there a little longer. Somebody might need to hear your story. You, you, can, you can curse somebody else. You're going through the storm, you come out of it, you're going to curse somebody else through, through their storm. Something you face that they're going to face. I was even talking with somebody even this, this week and uh, very devastating was going on in their life and, and uh, of course they have a lot of questions. I don't know why this is happening, this, that, and the other. But they said this, but I know that when God gets me through it, I'll be able to help somebody else. I said, you're exactly right. You'll be able to be a beacon of hope and light for somebody else going through the exact same thing. So don't quit. Keep going through that little storm. Actually, a quite big storm. Keep going through it. Let God help you. And then later let God use you. Be a help, an encouragement, a blessing, a blessing to someone else. You see, in this moment, these guys need to be stretched. You see, the people on the, on the seaside that day, the feeding of the 5,000, those people, after they were fed, they said this in John 6, 14, this is of truth, that prophet that should come in the world. And no doubt these guys heard that, but disciples who have been walking with the Lord for at least a year now, you had to go through something. They see that very thing. When they said this in Matthew 14, 33, of a truth, thou art the Son, the Son of God. They had to go beyond just a prophet and see there's more to this man than just a great teacher and prophet. No, no, no. This is the Son of God. And to get that perspective, they had to be stretched. And to be able to be stretched, they had to go through the storm of life. Listen, I don't like them either. But when I realize that sometimes it's for our betterment, and really it's always for that, God can use everything for good. When I put that perspective in mind, you can face those storms a little bit more grace, can you not? We really can. So again, this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're coming out of. And you're looking back like, what was that all that about? <laughs> I don't know. 
But could it be that God's trying to teach us some lessons too? To learn that we are secure in Him. To learn that through these times of life, He wants to stretch us. Ultimately, to make us more like the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Let God use you. As you go through it, you come out the other end, let God use you to help somebody else. Because He will if you'll let Him. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Lord Jesus Christ. And as we study the life of Peter, we do thank you for this lesson. No doubt it's very terrifying and scary, but so much to learn through it. And some of the things we face in our lives as well, difficulties, trials, they're very terrifying. But help us to see you in it all and take great comfort knowing you see us. Take great comfort in knowing that you are praying for us. Take great comfort in your word 